0: but um, most of you picked them up a couple of weeks ago. It's good to pray through the armor, to put it on every day, but we need even more than that to live the armor every day. We live out the truth, we live out righteousness, we live out faith, a readiness to share the gospel and wise effective use of the word of God. So we put on the armor, we keep on the armor, we live out the armor of God. The devotional writer William Gurnall wrote, either you destroy the power of Satan in your life by putting on the whole armor of God and keeping it on or Satan will destroy you. Pretty strong words. So we must be ready for spiritual combat, recognizing that the demonic forces that are at that are in operation are often what is behind what harms us. It's not often just a coincidence or just a circumstance. There are demonic forces that are coming against us as the people of God. And in verse 18, we see the calling and the command to give ourselves to constant faithful prayer. I'm going to read that again. Verse 18, "'Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints.' Supplication is that form of prayer that prevails. It's prevailing prayer. We prevail over our flesh. We prevail over the enemy. We prevail over our circumstances. We prevail over stubbornness. We pray until the answer comes. That is what supplication is. We are to wrestle until we win. Wrestling is referred to in verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do wrestle against the powers of the enemy. And we wrestle until we overcome. To this end, he uses that phrase in verse 18. To this end with all perseverance, that phrase is referring back to verse 13b where it says to be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we pray, we wrestle, So that we can stand no matter what is coming, not only against us, but against people that we love. So we persevere in standing and in prevailing prayer. So Reuben taught wonderfully about prayer a couple of weeks ago. And I want to just add a little bit, some more information on prayer because it is so important. You know, prayer is one of the disciplines. But it's actually the discipline, spiritual discipline, that will transform us into the nature of Jesus more than any other discipline. That's enough reason right there to engage in a whole lot of prayer. And prayer is often a battle because our flesh usually does not want to pray. Our flesh would rather rest or watch TV or go to the refrigerator or be entertained, or even be busy. Even, our flesh would even rather work than pray. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Prayer puts the priorities of God ahead of our personal desires. So we have a whole lot of personal desires. We have commitments. We have things that we think we have to do. Prayer pushes that back and prioritizes God and His purposes and His plan. The more we pray... The discipline of prayer will turn into desire, and we will want to pray. And the more we want to pray and engage in prayer, that will turn into delight. And we will delight in prayer. We will delight in being in the Lord's presence. Because the kingdom of darkness really does exist, we will encounter spiritual warfare. There's a constant battle going on in the spiritual realm. Satan wants a place where his will is done, where he sits on the throne and he rules from there. But Jesus is the king and he sits on the throne next to God the Father. And so we are caught in the middle of this battle. We are involved in a cosmic conflict with eternal consequences at stake. So we've said a couple of times and I'll just say it again, that when we were born again, we entered into the army of God and we became part of the picture of this cosmic conflict. The purpose and focus of prayer is to push back the agenda of darkness to establish the kingdom of light. So all of us are called to take part in establishing God's kingdom. Now that happens best through focused and effective prayer. And we pray to see the kingdom of God come in our lives. We pray to see the kingdom of God come in the lives of people we love and of our city and of our nation and of other nations of the earth. And so any level of prayer or spiritual warfare is all to push back darkness so that the Lord's kingdom comes. Even when you're just praying for your children and your grandchildren, that's part of pushing back the darkness that wants to encroach on their lives so that God's kingdom come and His, and His will is done in their lives, so that Jesus is Lord and sits on the throne of their hearts. So you can see the picture of how it's all pushing back darkness. It's all welcoming light. When the kingdom of God comes into our lives, and we pray that way, Lord, may your kingdom come, your will be done in my life today as it is in heaven, in my home today, in my family today, in my extended family today, in my neighborhood, in my city, in my state, in my nation, Lord, may your kingdom come. And as it flourishes in us, it overflows into our families, our environments. So that's that's why we never want to neglect that part of the prayer. When Jesus' disciples came to him and they said to him, Teach us to pray. He said, Okay, start this way Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, blessed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're commanded to pray this way, and we can see the wisdom of it. R.A. Tory wrote, We are too busy to pray, and so we're too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity but we accomplish little. What a sad indictment. Prayer is the way our spirits recharge. It's how our confidence and our courage is replenished. It's how vitality is restored to our souls. We must fight our flesh, our circumstances, and even the enemy in order to press in in prayer. It's always worth it. It's worth all the effort. I want to read to you what Ephesians 6:19 and 20 says in the Amplified Version. And pray for me, this is what Paul was saying, pray for me that words may be given to me when I open my mouth to proclaim boldly the mystery of the good news of salvation for which I am an ambassador in chains. And pray that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly and courageously as I should. Okay, if you will hold your place there and go over to Colossians 4. We're going to read the similar passage here. You remember that Paul wrote... Philippians and Colossians around the same time, and he covers some of the same subjects. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul says, "...continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So here, Paul stresses the need for constant, earnest prayer with vigilance and thanksgiving. You can see it's a lot more than just praying over your food, beginning your day in prayer and ending your day in prayer. He says, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And then he asked for prayer for open doors to share the gospel, even though he was already suffering for the gospel. He didn't ask for prayer to be delivered from from prison, for the chains to be removed, for the suffering and torture to end. No, he asked for prayer for open doors to share the mystery of Christ. You know, for Paul, everything in his life was about Jesus. Jesus. He said in Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he prayed for open doors, the right words, for courage and boldness to share the gospel. He didn't say, I don't care to have comfort. I don't care to have freedom. I care to have an opportunity to share the gospel. So pray that for me. Pray for open doors and pray that I would have the courage and boldness and the right words to speak when I have the opportunity. In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, Paul wrote, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Every time the Lord opens opens ministry doors for us, there are always adversaries. Have you experienced that? You get a new open door for some kind of outreach or some kind of mission, short-term mission trip, or some kind of outreach within the city or within the state or, or the nation. There are adversaries that come. Every time we start a new discipleship endeavor, we face adversaries. And we've raised up intercessors, intercessors in the past that would pray for us as we start something new. Because we always know that there's going to be adversaries. One time after a ministry trip, we came back to Israel. And we're going to start a new um, discipleship endeavor. Once we got back, we got back to five broken appliances in our house. Now, how does that happen? when you've been out of town. Five broken appliances. And every time we start something new with discipleship, there's always adversaries. We have computer problems. We have printer problems. Uh, There's strife in relationships and some of the people around us. Things break down in our house. And so we know that we have to pray before earnestly. We have to pray during and we have to pray after. But it's always worth it. Right, Smiths? It's always worth it. Even with the adversaries, we do what God calls us to do. But the thing is, we need to all raise our level of intercession so that we're not flattened by the adversaries that come. Okay, so because the enemy will continually resist our efforts with a variety of attacks. And so we must fervently pray in order to thwart the attacks and to overcome them. That's part of our spiritual warfare. In Ephesians 6, 20, let's go back to Ephesians 6, verse 20, he talks about being an ambassador in chains. So ambassadors were chosen from the ranks of mature, experienced men who would represent authorities. An ambassador for Christ had to be spiritually mature and represent Jesus well. Paul was that. We know Paul was that. But he also knew that he needed prayer to speak boldly. So he humbly asked for prayer, although he was a key leader in the church. You know, Paul could have said, you guys need to pray for each other. You know, because he was of such a stature. He he had already written books that were going to end up being part of the New Testament. He had already been imprisoned for his faith, beaten for his faith, flogged for his faith. He'd already gone through a whole lot. He was a man of stature in the kingdom of God. But he was humble enough to say, pray for me, pray for me. Don't ever get to where you feel like you're above asking for prayer. We all need prayer. And the prayer he prayed was not for his comfort, the prayer he requested. It was not for his comfort, but so that he could continue preaching Jesus in spite of persecution. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul took every opportunity to urge people to be reconciled to God through Jesus the Messiah. So what about us? We are also to be ambassadors for Christ. Do we implore people to be reconciled to God? I pray God will give us a greater burden for the lost, and He will give us boldness to speak to their spiritual condition. It's wise to always pray for open doors, for the right words, for courage to speak, and then look for those opportunities. And then let's read verses 21 and 22, Ephesians 6. But that you may know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tukikos, that's how you say his name, it's kind of awkward. I don't know who would name their child Tukikos. But anyway, uh, so so that you may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tukikos, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Paul cared for their concern for him, and so he sent Tukikos to give them a a report of how he was doing and to comfort them in their concern. So basically, Paul wanted them to know that in spite of the chains and the prison and the hunger and the coldness and the loneliness and the torture, he was rejoicing in the Lord and he was looking for opportunities to share the gospel. That's what he wanted them to know. So they'd be encouraged in their faith. And they'd be encouraged by hearing, he is standing strong. Aren't you encouraged when you hear that people are being persecuted for their faith, and that, but they're standing strong? We have some magazines over here from different ministries that deal with the persecuted church. And if you don't get any of those and you'd like to pick one up, please do today. Uh, flip over back to Colossians 4. We're going to look at Tukikos again. Colossians 4, 7 and 8. Tukikos, who is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may... He may know your circumstances, in the margin it says, or that you may know of our circumstances, and comfort your heart. So it was both. He was to go and share about how Paul was doing, and he was to hear how they were doing and bring comfort to them. Paul calls Tuki a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Man, what an honoring description. It's a little long for an epitaph, but I think it'd be great if we put that on someone's epitaph, like like Steve Cash, for instance, where it says, Steve Cash, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. Man, would that that be, could be said of all of us. Reuben and I lived in Haifa, Israel, for 10 years. And there was a lot of spiritual warfare while we were in Haifa. In fact, our Congregation met on the morning of Shabbat, the Sabbath morning for worship. It was a three-hour service, one service, three hours, not three services, three hours. But one service began with a whole hour of intense praise and worship that was spiritual warfare inclined. Everything about it was spiritual warfare. It was to push back the darkness that was over Mount Carmel, all the New Age things, and worship that went on on that mountain and just a lot of attack of the enemy up there. In fact, two friends of ours that did mission work in various parts of Europe came to see us one time and they went to our morning Shabbat service and they walked out and said, man, that's intense. How do you do that every week? We didn't think anything of it. That's the, that's the kind of intensity we lived with on Mount Carmel. And um, one of the problems where the enemy often attacked was in strife in relationships, sometimes between leadership and congregants, and sometimes between congregants and one another, sometimes in marriages. And Reuben and I drove a small red Mazda for that season of our lives, and the rest of the pastoral staff affectionately called it the little red fire engine because we were often putting out fires and helping people be reconciled and restored to one another. So when they saw our car, they said, oh, there goes the little red fire engine. The Rosses are off to work. (laughs) And one day, a man that Reuben had discipled many years earlier contacted us from the States, and he said he was flying over just to hang out with us for four or five days. Well, we really didn't have time for that. We really didn't want him to come. I mean, who's got time for four or five days of someone just hanging out? And, um, when you're busy putting out fires, but he came and for four to five days, he stayed with us. We didn't have a bed for him. He slept on a cot in, in the, well, I won't even describe the apartment we rented, but anyway, he, he roughed it in order to be with us. So bless that guy. But he spent hours encouraging us and praying for us and praying with us and putting strength back into our backbones to continue the work of the Lord. One day he started prophesying over us. He prophesied over us for 45 minutes straight. All the word of the Lord just putting strength back into us, giving us hope again, giving us direction again so that we could keep going on. God sent that brother to us. And in God's kingdom, we don't just win the lost. We don't just make disciples. We also care for believers who are serving the Lord and need ministry. That's all of us. And the Holy Spirit has called us all to this. That is the ministry of encouragement. And we need to be sensitive to the Lord's leading and to the needs of others so that we're all faithful in this ministry. That's what Tukikos was doing the ministry of encouragement. And sometimes it means you have to travel somewhere to go minister to someone. Reuben did that, was it a year or two ago that you went to Rockford? I think two years ago. There was something going on. I'll just say it was two years ago because of COVID last year. Um, there was something going on with a brother in Rockford that Reuben felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to fly to Rockford and to minister to that brother for four days. And he did that. And that's, that's part of the price you pay in the kingdom of God that you will use your time and your money and get off of your schedule to go take care of somebody else or so, someone else's ministry. And it's really an honor. If the Lord ever calls you to that, do it. You know, it's an honor to do that. So Paul ends this letter with a blessing in 23 and 24. He says, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So as God's ambassador, Paul spoke peace, love, and faith to them. And then he declared grace to all who sincerely love Jesus. Why? Why did he say grace to all of you who love Jesus in sincerity? The reason is because they would suffer for loving Jesus. Paul was already suffering for his love for the Lord, and he knew that they would suffer too. So he was preparing them to suffer. And suffering may come to us as well. Our our love for Jesus, our stand on the word of God is being true. And I wanna share with you some of Andrew Brunson's testimony. You probably recognize his name. Andrew Brunson was um, pastoring and a missionary in Turkey for more than 20 years and then he was imprisoned for more than two years. He was released, uh, orchestrated by President Trump in 2019, and since then he has been in the United States, speaking in many places, preparing American believers for persecution. He feels a sense of urgency, as do others who see the moral decline and the problems in our nation. Brunson says persecution is coming quickly and it will be here soon. We can't pretend it won't, so we need to prepare for it. Our society is becoming more hostile toward God and his people. If we are not ready for persecution, we're in danger of renouncing our faith in fear or becoming offended at God for our suffering Or feeling abandoned by God while suffering. And then we're tempted to deny our faith or to compromise. You know, we may or may not suffer for our faith, but it's to our wisdom to prepare for it. And then if it does come, we're ready. And if it doesn't come, praise the Lord. All of our preparation for it is for our good anyway. So he gives us different steps on how to prepare. And I've just written down four that I'm going to share with you. He said the first one is, understand that persecution is coming. Talk about it. Jesus said it will come. Matthew 10, I'm going to flip there quickly, and you can too, or you can just listen as I read this. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus said, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. You know, the Chinese church had been suffering for quite a while. And a friend of ours was speaking to the underground church. He found out that everyone he was speaking to, a group of about 40, 50, they had all done prison time. And he said, how do you keep going knowing that arrests and prison and torture is, is part of your life? How do you just keep going? And they said, well, it's easy. We work persecution and prison time into our future. It's already in our mindset. We know it's going to come. So when it does, it doesn't surprise us. We're ready for it. We've prepared for it. And we're ready to stand firm no matter what they do to us. We will stand for Jesus and for his word until they kill us. We in America have been spared persecution for the most part because for many years Americans have been reasonably righteous. But now we're guilty of what God judges the nations for. The main three things that God judges nations for that you read in the Old Testament is immorality. We have now legalized perversion with homosexual marriage. That's legalizing perversion. That's an abomination to God. We come under his judgment for that. That's the first one. The second one is we've legalized murder. That's abortion. So we've, you're well aware of that. We've legalized abortion. The third one is idolatry. We have idolatry across the board. We idolize Hollywood celebrities, even church leaders sometimes. We idolize sports figures. Idolatry is a big part of the American culture. We idolize position, wealth, uh, our status, our reputation. We idolize our children, our grandchildren. We idolize our homes, our boats, our material possessions. Idolatry is very big in our culture. So we are guilty of the three main things that God will judge a nation for. Believers in most nations of the world are persecuted today, and it's very unlikely that America will be spared. I just finished reading a book called The Tipping Point by Jimmy Evans. And he said, he he just wrote it last year, he's a pastor in Dallas. And he says, all of the things that we are seeing now are pointing that we are not only in the end times, we are in the end of the end times. Jesus will be coming soon, and things are wrapping up now. Even what we're seeing in the Middle East is a sign of what's going on, of of the end of things coming. Okay, number two, we need to cultivate love for God, pursue love for God, run after his heart. If your heart has gotten cold, if your love has gotten weak for the Lord, pursue it, press in. Have the attitude that King David had in Psalm 27, verse 4, where he said, One thing I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So that needs to be our desire. Lord, there's only one thing I really seek after. I want to be in your presence. I want to be in your house. I want to hear your voice. I want to be speaking back and forth. I want to be inquiring in your temple and I want to hear your word back to me. I want to delight in seeing the pleasantness of your beauty. I want an intimate relationship with you. And that's what we need. That's number two. We need to develop an intimate love relationship with Jesus and maintain it. You can't look back and say, yeah, I was in love with Jesus passionately 10 years ago. We need to be now. That is part of what will sustain us and difficult circumstances ahead. Andrew Brunson said it was his love for Jesus that kept him from suicide and from renouncing the Lord when things got so rough. We need to have a strong love for Jesus. And then number three, we need to cultivate perseverance. In Matthew 10, reading on, he says, verse 27, "'Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops.'" And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus says, don't be intimidated against preaching and speaking the truth. We are to fear God, not man. Make a decision now to stand firm under pressure. Brunson said that God allowed him to be broken and rebuilt and broken and rebuilt again and again and again. And it built perseverance in him. And now he's able to encourage the church to stand firm. We need to decide now that we're not going to cave in, that we're not going to compromise. When the pressure is on, it's easy to cave in if you haven't made a strong decision ahead of time. So what God gives you in the dark, what God speaks to you, don't be afraid to speak it out. Be bold in your sharing of the Word of God. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 10. And then fourthly, stand on the word, be steadfast in Scripture. Do what Ephesians 6 says. That Brunson said that. Do what Ephesians 6 says. Pray, verse 18, with all supplication. Persevere in prayer. Know God's word so that you can stand on his promises. Take your stand with your armor on. Keep your armor on. And then having done all, stand. When there's nothing else you can do, just stand. Be faithful. And then lastly, I want to pray over you the prayers that are in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. I love these prayers. I'm just going to read them, pray them while I read them. So if you'd like to bow your heads and receive from the Lord, that would be good. Let's do that. Lord, I want to thank you for this book of Ephesians and how it's ministered to all of us. Thank you for these good final words. Father, I pray that you... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that you would give to all of us here a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you, that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. I pray that we will know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us, the saints. I pray we'll know the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your mighty power, which you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places. And Father, I pray that you would grant us according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with might through your spirit in our inner man. I pray, Christ, would you steadfastly reside in our hearts through faith, We want to be rooted and grounded in your love, and I pray that we would know and comprehend through experience the width, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of Jesus Christ that passes knowledge. I pray that we will be filled with all the fullness of God. I pray that again. Lord, may we be rooted and grounded in your love. And may we be filled with all the fullness of God. To our Lord Jesus and our Father God, be glory in the church to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm sorry, it sounds like I'm ending on a hard note. It's actually a glorious note. Because we carry the glory of God. Whether we walk as free men or whether we suffer in prison, we carry the glory of God. What an honor. What a blessing. God bless you all. Two more minutes. Weeks. Two more weeks. Oh, a b. We are going to meet for two more weeks. Next Sunday is Pentecost. We're going to celebrate Pentecost, and the following week we will. Uh, Marianne will tell us next week how we're going to celebrate the following week. It's going to be more fellowship oriented and, and worship and prayer and so forth. God bless you all. Let's go worship the Lord. Song sheets, leave them there. Yeah, if you can put them on this table, it helps. If you want to pick up anything over there, please do. The Finishing Well seminar is now online. You can pick up the notes over there, too.